A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the deadline day expectations to the deadline day reality. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Is it deadline day today at the time of it recording? It is deadline day. Are you being sarcastic? I can't actually tell if you are. It's it's crept up on me because I, I don't tune into Sky Sports News as much as I normally do. So I don't see the usual suspects carping on about things that may or may not happen. So I genuinely, it's it surprised me that it's today. I don't know why. You haven't seen Carve Solico clinging to an iPad saying, my sources have told me that Nicholas Bentner is close to a move to Malmo. I've not seen that specific rumour. Um, be surprised if that was on, but no, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I've kept far away from it. I, I, yeah, it's been very quiet. I also heard that Domesh Seth, or whatever his name is, is uh, <laughs> reporting that Connor Salmon could be close to a move to Shamrock Rovers. That's just reports at the moment, ladies and gentlemen, but that's what, that's what happens whenever I go on Sky Sports at the moment. How have you not known, Justin? Have you not been on Twitter? Well, well I have, actually. I spend my life on Twitter, but... I think it's down to I think it's just down to the amount of teams that need so much adding to their squads because they're so short that I that I just I think subconsciously there's another week left of the window because every single team in the championship right now has left it so late to add players to their squads. It is ridiculous. It's gonna be well, I, I know I was joking about expectations at the start of the show, but it genuinely could be one of the busiest transfer mm. windows, deadline days ever that we've had in the championship because there are so many clubs who still need to add to their squad and also so many big players who are yeah. still at clubs now who could very well be heading out the door today so that's going to be very interesting ladies and gentlemen but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about the results that we've seen in the championship from midweek so welcome along to the number one championship specific podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes as i say we'll be talking about the midweek games in the championship plenty for us to get our teeth to teeth into right here justin but we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days including some of the transfers that have happened prior to deadline day and then we'll finish off with the good old game that is Diddy or Didn't He right at the end. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company, committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to 200 Pounds. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet, responsible gambling tools. We'll start off with the game on Tuesday night. It was second v first as Sheffield United played Reading. Although you wouldn't have guessed it from the game as the Blades smashed the Royals 4-0. Complete domination from Sheffield United here. Reading not even managing a single shot on target here. 
Paul Heckenbottom side continue to be the best side in the division at the time of recording, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just what a way to coin that fixture, by the way, first piece. <laughs> um yeah, it was it was complete domination and um I think it was down to how quickly Sheffield United turned the ball over when they when Reddick gave it to them essentially. Um and that's not to discredit Sheffield United's performance, but their performance was made a lot easier by how poor Reading were with the ball. Um, and we know how quick Sheffield United are at turning over possession and getting into good areas and they've got the players to hurt teams. And they did that time and time again. And then from set pieces as well, they're a threat. From wide areas, they're a threat. From central positions, they're a threat. I remember Tommy Doyle queuing up um, uh, a shot for Ndai who, who just missed the post. That was through the middle uh, and again winning the ball back. It was a, a really, really good performance from Sheffield United. They had 14 shots inside the box, for example. It, it was ridiculous um, and a really good indicator of, as to why Sheffield United at this point are the best team in the division. Yeah, there's no doubt at all with that, is there? They've just got so much quality over the pitch and even off the pitch. You look at the bench. <laughs> They had McAtee, Basham, Brewster and Kadra. Come on. <laughs> All of whom would be automatic starters in the majority of championship mm-hmm. sides, wouldn't they? And the main weakness with this side up until very recently was up front. Because Endai is playing alongside Ollie McBurney, who we all know has struggled. He's gone 21 months without a goal. But now he's got two goals in two games. Mm-hmm. It's just like, give the rest of us a chance, Sheffield United. <laughs> have, have some weakness, please. But they've had... An electric start, haven't they? And are looking seriously, seriously strong at this point. I'm not crowning them champions yet, Justin, by any means. There's, of course, a long way to go. We're seven games into the season, for crying out loud. But judging from this start, I'd be comfortable assuming at this point, if anyone finishes above them, they'll be going up automatically. Because I simply struggle to see them having extended periods where they're not getting regular points on the board. Yeah, spot on. I think it's down to, as well, that their the, the squad balance is very, very good. Um, you were talking about the strength and depth. McBurney, he's not just scored a tap-in, by the way. He's, his, his header in this game was emphatic. It was a really, really good header because the ball was behind him. Shows that he does have quality at this level. Um, and as you say, if they can keep players fit, that's that's going that could be the undoing for Sheffield United is, is is injuries mounting up, but you'd hope that now they do have the squad depth and got the quality in the right places to to maintain a promotion push because that's what let them down in in sort of that February March period last season under Heckingbottom lost a lot of players had no recognised forwards um, and they couldn't they couldn't put the ball in the back of net or create chances on the regular so that could that that that's the only thing that I could see being their undoing because. They were they were exceptional again today. Uh, sorry, um, on Tuesday, and yeah, they, they've got a complete squad for me. Yeah, they seriously have. Despite Reading being top of the table and having a great start, this result wasn't a huge surprise, was it, Justin? I mean, you've only got to look at Sheffield United's home record to um, see why this wasn't a huge surprise. They've only lost once at home in 2022. Actually, I think it's only lost once at home since Paul Heckingbottom took mm. over. And the interesting thing was that loss came against Reading. But this was as soon as that first goal went in, you thought, oh God, this could be a long day at the office. And the thing is, Sheffield United are just simply a much better side than Reading, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, And I've mentioned with Sheffield United how quickly they turned the ball over. 
and Reading giving them the ball so often it was literally that I think there was a chance in the second half just before the third goal where I think Fournay gave uh, gave the ball away and there was no one retrieving it there was no press to retrieve the ball and this was in the middle third of the pitch you know this was a key area that you've you've got to make it uncomfortable Sheffield United but Sheffield United just walked through them and I think this is why we were pragmatic at the weekend when Reading went top of the table Reading will go through the motions this season Um, it does highlight that Whilst they do have a competitive squad, it's certainly not up there with the best. And I think quite a lot of supporters, it probably gave a lot of supporters a bit of a a bit of a come down, a bit of a feet on the ground sort of moment because they were well beaten, well beaten in this game. Well beaten. In Tony Mowbray's first game as Sunderland boss, they thumped Rotherham 3-0. Considering many supporters would have been a bit downbeat after last week's events just in, I'd call this a performance that restores a lot of positivity for the Black Cats. I think more so in the squad. Um, yeah, Mowbray's not going to have he's not going to have a, had had much time with the uh, with the team. Um, but I think if you're putting three um, three against three in against Rotherham, it's it's an exceptional it's an exceptional day at the office because of how good defensively Rotherham have been this season. And if you look at the goals they scored as well, Ross Stewart. He's a born goal scorer. Jack Clark has been fantastic. We had question marks over him in the summer, but he's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, Lyndon Gooch on the right-hand side as well, just adds so much balance to the team and, and and they were solid as well. So, yeah, this was a really, really good start for Tony Mowbray and I think he'd have been satisfied by what he saw because I think on the balance of things, it's probably, it's certainly the right move, but I think this squad's a lot stronger than, than Blackburn is. Blackburn's is at the current time, so he's you know, probably made the right choice in, in, in leaving. Well, they fully deserved this win, and even though it took them until the second half to score, it always felt like Sunderland would find a way through just because of the amount of pressure they were putting on on Rotherham. The Loch Ness Drogba scored twice, continuing his fantastic start to the season. That man is just an absolute danger in the 18-yard box for the opposition, isn't it? But the start of the show was someone we have mentioned before and someone that you've mentioned just then, Justin Jack Clark, set up the first two goals with two great crosses. That second one, by the way, yeah. outside of the foot, was <laughs> magnificent. But then scored an exceptional solo goal. And keep in mind... He's doing this all from left wing back as well. And I'll admit, I've been a Jack Clark sceptic throughout his short career so far. You look at the spells he had at QPR and Stoke, I think I'm right in saying. He didn't really set the world alight at all and really struggled to start games in both those loan spells. And when he was at Leeds, he kept before he got the move to Spurs, he was coming off the bench and I was a bit like, is this guy really worth all the hype and the money? that has gone towards him so far. Then when he went to Sunderland, I didn't really, I didn't have high expectations for him particularly. And I certainly wasn't expecting him to be deployed at left wing back when he joined. But it's turned out to be a tactical masterstroke by he who should not be named. Um, The thing is, he seems to be enjoying his football, which is the most important thing. And I don't think that can be underestimated how much that can improve a player's performances because now he's showing that he is worth all the hype that we saw before and he is only 21 I think I'm right in saying still so he's still got so much growing room left in his career and the fact he's at Sunderland permanently now it could end up being a massive massive coup for them so things are going really well for him so far and things are going really well for Sunderland as a whole and I think Tony Mowbray would have headed into this game thinking he doesn't need to change too much with this team because they have started so well um 
and he's just kept things going. I mean, you only have to look at the starting eleven here. It wasn't too different from what we've seen from Alex Neal so far. So, yeah, really positive first game for Tony Mowbray's side. For Rotherham, a bit of a humbling, really, wasn't it, after a good start to the season? Yeah, spot on. I think it was just uh, um, a game with a big crowd uh, on a Tuesday night. And I wouldn't say they were baying for blood, but they, they were up for it, especially after the performance they put in against um, Norwich at the weekend. But yeah, maybe victims of a new manager balance, if you believe in that myth as well. But yeah, it's, it's um, a disappointing result. But I think there were promising signs. Norton Cuffey looked good at right wing back, um, but he just highlights some of the flaws in their team somewhat. Perhaps, well, well with the front two especially, um, because with the game tight, they weren't at their best. No. In Alex Neal's first game as Stoke boss, they drew one all at home to Swansea after scoring an injury-time equaliser. Uh, the result that Alex Neal wouldn't have wanted, I'm sure, but the performance, I think he will be fairly happy with. Yeah, a much better performance than what we've seen in recent weeks from Stoke. Um, I think it, you know, he go back to the Blackpool game as the only game where they've, they've really dominated in terms of chances, and this was... Another one. So, yeah, frustrating to to concede the way they did. I think Joel Pirro was unmarked with his goal. Uh, and obviously the cross came in a bit too easily. So there's there's certainly a lot to a lot of work to do for Alex Neal. But he'd be pleased with the performance, as you say. And when you score late in the game, it tells you a lot about a team's character to, to, to keep going. And, and Stoke created a hell of a lot of chances. Swansea had a few. But as far as home performances go, this was much better than what they've put in in recent weeks under Mike O'Neill. Yeah, they were much the better side for the majority of the game. 20 shots and the disappointing thing for Alex Neal will, of course, been that it took so long for them to find the equaliser. Lewis Baker hit the bar from 40 yards out, which I always love seeing. The interesting thing was it bounced back to, I think, Dwight Gale. He headed it and it looked like the keeper had saved it fairly easily. But when you look at the goal line technology, <laughs> you see he's only just kept it in, even though he was so calm about it. So that was a bit strange. Um, I think one of the trickiest things Alex Neal has got to work out as soon as possible is what his best team is. Because mm-hmm. for me, Justin, Stoke are one of the few mid-table championship sides with plenty of squad depth. And it could be quite tricky narrowing it down to a best eleven that fits into the way his side wants to play. Now Alex Neal seems to be a bit more tactically flexible than when he was at Preston for example and seemed just married to 4-3-3 all the time. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought in a couple of players on deadline day though to try and find the best of both worlds if you see what I mean. It's also got to be got to be said that they have suffered a, a couple of injuries to certain players as well. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for Alex Neal as he tries to figure out what's the best way to move forward with this Stoke side is, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I mean, there's a lot of squad depth, but I still think it's, there's a lack of balance in, in, in some areas. They've got a couple but of Why do you nines. think that, Justin? Because they've got a couple of number nines and they don't have a lot of depth in, in wide areas. For example, you look at the players who started the, the game last night against Swansea. There's Delap, Gale and Brown. There's not a natural wide player there as a front three. Um right back or right wing back I don't think they have a natural player in that position at all Ben Wilmot's been been featuring there midfield um, they've got Baker and Kilkenny who are very similar type of players Thompson's a box to box um, Lawrence one of those Lawrence is a midfielder that breaks the play up but there's no there's no defensive shield I know Lawrence can um, deputise in that role um, but it, it just it just lacks balance for me they've got a lot of depth at the centre half which is great um, but as I say 
there are just areas that need strengthening more than others. And I don't think they needed Liam Delap, for example. It's a big signing, a good signing anyway. But they needed to focus those resources elsewhere in the squad to, to, to balance it out a lot better than it is because they can't go between now and January without having a, a natural right-back, right-wing-back. It's it's going to make things very tricky for, for Alex Neal, I think. Interesting. Well, Joel Pirro scored his second goal in as many games for Swansea. His early performances have been a bit of a cause for concern amongst Swansea fans. Perhaps he was being distracted by links with moves away. I haven't seen anything in the way of serious transfer talk. I'm saying that with my neck over the barrel, considering it's deadline day when anything can happen. So hopefully the lack of transfer talk means it's a sign he'll be staying at Swansea tomorrow. Um and he'll hopefully, the, the two goals here is a sign that he'll be knuckling down once again because they need him to be really, don't they? There was a big game at Vicarage Road between two sides, many expecting to be up there this season, Watford v Middlesbrough. And it was the Hornets who ran out the 2-1 winners thanks to a late winner from Vakun Bayo. A, a very good watch this, both sides had plenty to offer. The star though was João Pedro, who was a man possessed in this game, Justin. He completed nine dribbles, which is the most in a championship game this season. Got an assist, created other chances too. And he is just a joy to watch when he is in full flow, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's an exceptional player. Um, a lot of managers will be hoping they get sold. Chao Pedro and Ismael that is, they'll be praying that someone puts in a bid that is too good to turn down because... Joe Pedro for me was a difference in a lot of in a lot of the the Watford attacks. He created two big chances as well. Obviously, created the the one of the goals. Yeah, he's he's, he's an unreal player, and it's and it's really good to see him grow um, into a, into that role where he's 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 a focal point. He's 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 needed because when we saw him in the championship last a couple of seasons ago, we saw sparks, and that's natural. He's a young player. We saw sparks, um, and we saw you know indications of his ability. But right now. He's, um, yeah, he's enjoying his football. Yeah, he really is. He's your typical Brazilian street footballer, isn't he? Because <laughs> when he, he loves coming deep and getting on the ball and making things happen and he's just such a dangerous player. And with it being deadline day that we're recording this, Justin, we don't know if he's going to be a Watford player or not on Friday morning, but they'll be desperately hoping that he is as well as Ishmael Assar. But I don't think it's ridiculous to say this is a bit of a season-defining 24 hours for Watford, isn't it? Because if they keep those two, Watford are always going to be in the conversation for the top two, aren't they? When you've got two players as good as João Pedro and Ishmael Assar, who really should be playing in the Premier League, then you've got two of clearly the best players in the division. And that's always very handy, especially when you've got a decent enough squad like Watford have. But if they lose them... I fear they will be missing that star quality and that X factor in the final third that those two provide, not just in terms of creativity, but in terms of putting away chances as well. So, yeah, a big 24 hours for Watford. If you listen to this on Friday morning or Saturday, what have you, then uh, you'll already know what's going to happen. So, yeah, one to keep an eye on for sure if you are listening to this on Thursday. Um, Middlesbrough were not for the first time unlucky here. I thought, Justin, I know we keep saying Middlesbrough have been unlucky and I have been asking myself, am I just trying to subconsciously convince myself that they can still go up after we predicted them to win the league at the start of the season? But they genuinely have been unlucky, haven't they? They got the win at the weekend and I don't think this is particularly a backward step. I think it was just one of those games where you fought long and hard and then you get a sucker punch right at the end. 
Yeah, you're like a scorned ex at the moment. She'll take me back. She'll take me back. It's, <laughs> it's what it feels like. Um, the more the more Borough you know, pick up bad results, the more it's the more it's going to be difficult for them to to, to finish in a promotion place um, this this season. And yes, they are creating chances, and perhaps a draw was a fair result in this game. But they're switching off at key times in games. Um, you know the, the way the way they switched off for the for the Watford win, I thought was criminal. Uh, I really did. I thought it was really poor, um, and that's. Down, I don't think the defensive changes helped. Enforced defensive changes helped, but for Bayo to be to be unmarked or for that that Middlesbrough backline to be as wobbly as it was, it should have been straight at that point in the game. Got to see that game out. Um, yeah, I think he's really, really poor because he was he was well on side. I can't remember who it was was playing him on, but he was about three yards deeper than the rest of his defenders. Um, and that's what's letting Borough down at the moment. It's the, they're switching off at key moments, which unfortunately is is is, is keeping a tether on them, hitting their full flow. Well, at the weekends they are playing on Monday night, I think, aren't they against Sunderland, which is obviously yeah. a big game, not just because it's a local derby, but because Sunderland. Are- pretty desperate for three points but Rodrigo Muniz got his first goal in a Borough shirt which is always a good sign considering he's straight into the team and hasn't played many games for Fulham either so yeah certainly positives to take away from this game despite losing Norwich have won four games on the bounce now the latest being a 2-1 victory away at Birmingham O'Neill Hernandez scored the winner in the 92nd minute and the limbs here Justin were <laughs> marvellous weren't they it's unsurprising because it really was a poor game. The first half was quite drab, um, and, and Norwich edged a game um, where they had to win ugly. And they are some of the most satisfying three points, especially when you um, especially when you score in the last minute. And it was a really well worked goal uh, as well. When Onal Hernandez, he was on it against Birmingham, um, maybe because he was there last season. I don't know, but to to win their the last two away games the way they have, I think shows that they are a good. They are a good side. They do have good players, um, and they can only get better because they've they, again they've played better than that and not got anything from games. So yeah, really satisfying win I think for Dean Smith and Norwich. But performances do have to improve. Probably will do going into home games because you had two tough away games back to back. Well, they probably deserve the win, but they did what Norwich have done on many occasions this season, which is look very threatening in the second half without actually creating anything in the way of clear-cut chances. But four wins on the trot, you can't have too many complaints. No Josh Sargent on the score sheet, meaning he's on a goal drought of one game now. The fraud. Um, But overall, four wins, you can't really complain too much when you're a Norwich fan, can you? And of course, I keep going back to this, but Dean Smith was under a bit of pressure after their initial first few games but that seems to be a bit of a distant memory now and they're flying up the table but Birmingham have been really poor recently this was better from them there are definitely positives to take away um Birmingham seem to have seen their recent form and really shit the bed because they've gone a bit crazy in the final few days of the transfer window haven't they we'll talk about the individual deals in the news but they've reportedly going to get Tav Chong on a permanent deal after he was on loan last season. Josh Madger is another one who's apparently signing on deadline day. Plus, they've already signed a couple of young lads on loan. What do you make of that, Justin? Do you think it is a reaction to their poor form? I think it is in some way. I think they've noticed how poor the squad looks um, and it needs quality in it. I still think they need one or two defenders um, and a and a couple of midfielders as well. Not necessarily attacking players, but I think John Eustace said if they can get good players in, that's going to help them massively. And the players that they have brought in or rumoured to be being, 
to be bringing in are good players, and that can only, as I say, that can only help them. Um, and I don't think we'll see the best of John Eustace and his team until Birmingham City have a squad that is competitive, because at the moment it's not, and it's and it's showing. But although I mean, the Norwich performance was a lot better; they were difficult to play against, but they weren't overly threatening either. Um, and it just shows that they're short of quality, which hopefully is being sorted out as ASAP. Really? Well, well, it seems like it is because the new owners or potential new owners have reportedly been heavily involved in these mm. deals and they obviously don't want to um, take over a club that looks to be on its way to League One. So the fact that the takeover is not being complete yet, they're getting involved um, before they actually take over. Mm-hmm. So it sustains their investment doesn't it so it makes sense for them to do that but I think it's without a doubt a reaction to the poor results because fans aren't happy at the moment and that's rightly so because the performances have been pretty shocking recently Justin let's take a quick break after that we'll talk about Burnley's first home win of the season and QPR getting back to back the wins Back to the second tier podcast. Burnley got their first home win of the season by beating Millwall 2-0. And it was a fairly comfortable win in the end for the Clarets, wasn't it, Justin? Yeah, it was, which is, I think, a, a massive positive considering how how effective Millwall can be um, in games uh, and how difficult they can be to break down. But I think this was a, a really good indication of what Burnley can do. Um, the, in possession, they were really effective. They were really clinical. They took the chances when they needed to. Um, they didn't let their possession go to waste, which they 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 can be. Why well, they have been guilty of so far this season, created six, uh, seven or eight really good chances, um, and it was a really good team performance, a really good midweek team performance, a routine professional win. And I think if they have wins like that throughout the season uh, or consistently, I think Burnley will quietly go about the business because, as I say, they they were looking. Like it was going to take a while for them to to get going, but actually they've they've done really well over the last few uh, last few games. Yeah, they've certainly got more impressive as time has gone on for me, and I, f- I continue to think that results have been better or performances have been better than the results rather. Um, Vitinho, someone who's impressed me from left back, obviously got on the score sheet here, but has looked a really dangerous player whenever he's got on the ball. Nathan Teller's someone who's really looked an exciting mm. player, just in his. He loves running at defenders. And the crazy thing is Southampton had him just roaming around their training ground. He played a few games for them last season, but otherwise he's been a bit of a spare part. And that's obviously been the case considering they've been willing to let him go out on loan. But he just has these flashes of class that make you think he really should be playing Premier League football. And I think Burnley fans may keep an eye on Southampton's results so as he doesn't get recalled in January because he's a really, really talented boy. But having said that, Burnley have got so many attacking options that you'd have thought even if they were to lose him, they should be able to fill his absence. But nonetheless, a really good win for Burnley, especially because they haven't won at home yet this season. So that's one that Vincent Company's managed to get that monkey off his back, hasn't he? Uh, But three straight losses now for the ball. Definitely struggling our Gary Rowett's boys, aren't they? QPR have won back-to-back games for the first time since January after winning 3-1 at home to Hull. The first half, QPR were just scintillating. I could not believe how good they were. They they took 
a side who were third in the table, had only lost once prior to this, and just completely blew them out of the water, Justin. Yeah, that 30-minute period, they, they, they ripped the rule book up. They were so clinical. They were the definition of clinical. It was, it was, um, it was ridiculous, really. Um, I think Michael Beale's challenge is to, to combine all that individual quality that QPR had that was on show in that 30-minute period knit it all together and, and get some consistency out of them because that's the only thing that's going to hold them back throughout the season. But when you've got Elias Chair doing what he did and Chris Willock doing what he did, it's just completely bonkers that, that no one's panic panic bought or panic bid for, for these two players because, well, especially Chris Willock, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd throw 20 million that way without hesitation. Um, but that's, you know, that could happen, but that's for another story. And I think as well that... It's showing that the four two three one's working quite nicely because it's getting those those talented players in the right areas and getting that defenders when you've got the likes of Stefan Johansson who was who was brilliant in this game. I think when you've got again, I'm gonna say it, when you've got players like Chris Willock and Elijah Chair doing what they did in this game, it overshadows the really good work that the likes of Stefan Johansson do. Um because again I thought as I say, I thought he was good in that double pivot and obviously he grabbed two assists as well, which may or may not count as assists, but they all count for me. Well, Elias Chair and Willock have seriously clicked into life, haven't they? And that simultaneously means QPR have clicked into life because when they had unclicked from life in last season, <laughs> that was one of the reasons why QPR just completely fell off a cliff. But two in, two wins on the trot, six goals scored against Watford and Hall, no less. Can't underestimate that. I, I, I think... You know, Watford, you expect us to be up there this season. The other ones started brilliantly. So when you think about that, to win in the way that they have done against those two sides mm-hmm. is quite remarkable, really. And it is easy to forget that QPR were challenging for the top two for long parts of last season. So they've clearly a side with a lot of potential, especially when Cher and Willock in particular are playing so well. And I'm not saying that's going to happen again, them challenging for the top two, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them go under the radar and actually have a very good season because I don't think anyone has really, anyone from outside Loftus Road anyway, has had many high expectations for QPR this season. But they are a very good side with some very good players. Of course, Mick Beale is a new manager, cutting his teeth at this level. So we shouldn't get too carried away with expectations, but we know they have got the potential to be a very very good side and particularly with how they've done in the last two games certainly one to keep an eye on uh, despite Hall's brilliant start they've now conceded the most goals in the division having only what only kept one clean sheet in their first seven games they've obviously signed quite a few players this summer Justin but do you feel like they've paid enough attention towards their defence over the summer especially because as you were saying at the weekend Matt Ingram's been a very busy boy hasn't he yeah, and he was busy again in this game despite conceding three goals. I don't think it's down to signing um, signing more defenders. I, I quite like the look of the, their defence at the moment. Obviously, bringing in Cyrus Christie adds a bit more going forwards and a bit more experience as well. So I don't think it's down to recruitment. It's just down to team shape and game management at certain times. Um, I don't think we'll see the best of Hull until 10 or 12 games into the season. Um, they've got players to come back in from injury. Um, their midfield probably needs a little bit more legs in it as well. Um, and, and the likes of Greg Doherty coming into the team will we'll add that. Um, it was a poor game and a really bad 30-minute spell from Hull, um, but they they are a side who can create chances. I think the challenge for Arbaladzi is 
he's tightening up the, the 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 team without sacrificing their forward play because they have been good going forwards. Um, and that's that's going to be a tricky that's going to be a tricky thing. But I think it's going to be a, it's it's going to be the challenge. Um, but I don't think they need to recruit to to you know, add that balance. Is worth mentioning, Seri two fan both missing for this game mm-hmm. so they obviously lose a lot of the control that they would get in midfield with those players in the team um, the only question marks I'd have would be over the likes of Figueredo for example who he's an alright player at championship level but not incredible and I think Cyrus Christie's a very good right back at this level nothing more nothing less and Jacob Greaves is obviously a very good player Callum Elder good championship player so it's alright but it could have been a lot better considering Hull's ambitions that they've shown this summer. They've obviously brought in a, plenty of players, but a lot of them have been forward options and midfield options. So maybe they could have done with a, a couple more defenders in through the door. But, you know, we'll have to see in the long term whether that has much of an impact. There was a goal fest at the Coventry Building Society Arena. Well, a goal fest by Preston standards. They won 1-0 away at Coventry. Justin, a Preston game that didn't finish goalless. Um, we laugh at the lack of goals in their games and plenty of others have had a laugh about it as well but it is genuinely an, an incredible achievement to have not conceded a goal in your first seven games I think I'm right in saying I saw that they're the fourth team ever in the history of the EFL to not concede a goal in their first seven games which is astonishing really isn't it it is it's absolutely miraculous and I don't think they've done it Purposely, um, I think it's just been one of them where the, the the way the games have panned out, that's that's been the case. But Preston have still been quite effective in in um, in creating chances, and they have been solid. Um, and I mean, Freddie Woodman's Freddie Woodman's a clean sheet master at this level. His, his time at Swansea showed that, um, and you know, when you've got a good keeper, it helps massively as well. But yeah, this this run of Results. I don't want to say it's been a bit of a, a freak scenario for for Preston, but it's it's it, yeah, it's completely it is bizarre. A freak now. scenario. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to discredit anything they've done. I don't think Ryan Lowe. I think Ryan Lowe would have swapped a couple of the the nil nils for a one nil defeat and a three nil win elsewhere. Um, I, I think getting goals in that team is more important to Ryan Lowe than them keeping clean sheets because of how he plays. Well, I think it is just, as you say, for the lack of a better term, a freak scenario. (laughs) Because you you look at it statistically, they've got the eighth best expected goals against in the division. So... They, they are conceding chances, not as much as you probably would have expected from them at the start of the season, especially with Ryan Lowe in charge, who's known for being more of an attack-minded manager. But it is just teams... It's not been... I can only think of a couple of games this season where they should have conceded. That Watford game being one and um, Luton being another one where they were quite fortunate not to concede. Um, but otherwise, it's just been remarkable how... The games have been so few of goals. You know, two goals can two goals involved in seven games this season, Justin. So yeah, I I continue to just be completely bemused by Preston's start, and it is so difficult to analyse because I just don't really know what to make of it at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> nothing more really to say on it. Commentary hit the woodwork a couple of times. You know, as we say, an indication that 
the, the luck is definitely going Preston's <laughs> way at the back sometimes. Um, but it is, of course, worth remembering this was Coventry's first game at home this season because of everything that's happened with the pitch. It's just the one point on the board for them from four games. How much do you put that down to the postponed games, JP? All of it. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely... I just... Yeah, there's no there's no other way of um, de- describing it. I don't think it's been a, a poor start. I think it's been a start impacted by the the situation they've been in. They've not they've not been able to get into a stride that other teams have. You look at the consistently m- momentum pressing have gathered even by keeping all of their clean sheets. Playing games consistently is, is so so important to teams. Um, and we're seeing the likes of Bristol City. We're seeing the likes of. Of, of Sunderland pick up that momentum um, Norwich as well picking up a, a winning habit by not playing well it's all about playing games if you're not playing games you're not you're not building up those habits and, and it's the same with Coventry they're, they're misfiring at the moment they, they're creating chances but not taking them they created a good number of chances in this game but they didn't take them and again that's down to I think that's down to a lack of games being played consistently so I think it would take Coventry another five or six games to, to really to really get going and for us to see the best of them. Bristol City are unbeaten in five games after winning 2-0 at home to Huddersfield. A competitive game this, fairly even. Both teams will argue they deserve the points, but they're staying at Ashton Gate on this occasion. Yeah, three three clean sheets in four as well, which is, is absolutely remarkable for this Bristol City side under Nigel Pearson. Um, you, know, you, you can argue that they found their balance, especially at home, because those wins own clean sheets have come at home um, and they, they, they're creating chances not conceding them too often they, they're managing games a lot better than they have done as well you look at the, the goals that um, the timing of the goals that Bristol City scored last season they'll concede at a poor time and, and probably fold and they didn't in this game and I think that's I think we've seen a bit of a change in um, not personality but sort of team philosophy I guess on during the game and I think we will start to see the best of this squad um, because I say I, I think they have turned a corner in terms of game management, which has always been the uh, the big hurdle for Bristol City. Well, Huddersfield would be bottom of the table if it wasn't for Coventry. Four losses from the opening six. To be fair, you look at who they've played, it's been a fairly difficult start, but it certainly will be a worry for Danny Schofield, who is obviously trying to win over Huddersfield fans after replacing Carlos Corbran in the summer. I'm not sure what Huddersfield fans will have made of his start so far, but yeah, certainly a lot to a lot to recover from from Huddersfield so far. Cardiff one, Luton two. Cardiff boss Steve Morrison accused Luton manager Nathan Jones after the game of saying "Who are you?" after Morrison confronted him about celebrating before shaking his hand. Nothing better than a good old-fashioned manager squabble, is there? Um, but yeah, Luton, you know. They were struggling earlier in the season, weren't they? They, I, I think they were another side for me whose performances were a lot better than their results. But things seems to be, seem seemingly have got on track now. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think it showed that they've got quality in their squad as well. Um, you look at Luke Freeman coming in, for example. I think he's showing exactly why I thought more teams may have been in for him because he's added a nice little spark for Luton in that final third. Um, they're creating chances from set pieces we saw with with Osho's goal um, and they were really good in the second half in this game um, arguably should have taken their chances but it won't be the first time we say that it certainly hasn't been the first time we said that this season anyway um, and they're currently ninth without really pulling up any trees which is a fairly decent place to be in I think um, because I don't think we've seen Luton at their best yet but this game was a really good really good managed game they were happy to sit without possession and they showed that 
they they're a team that could be up there again because as I say, the way they managed the game, Cardiff were sort of kept at arm's length. Luton were, were really really good here. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling that Luton are just starting to hit their stride, and of course, I keep going back to the preseason predictions, but I had tip Luton for big things this season and they had started slowly last season as well mm-hmm. now they obviously started slowly this season as well but not as bad as they were last season so now I'm wondering whether this is just Luton finally getting grips to with you know the new players that they brought in and it all clicking together and don't want to get too carried away Justin <laughs> but they're looking good is all I'm gonna say um Cardiff striker situation is becoming a big, big concern for me, Justin. They've needed to bring in front men all summer and I've only got in Keanu Tete, who Steve Morrison's admitted is more of a long-term prospect. But he continues to pursue with Max Waters up front, who unfortunately for me looks out of his depth. He started every game so far and has been really, really poor. Now, of course, we're recording this on deadline day. Cardiff may very well sign another striker before the window closes and for their sake I hope and pray they do but even if they do then I mean Waters as your backup I wouldn't be particularly comfortable with that they're the joint lowest scorers in the division already and I fear that will cost them a lot of points as the season goes on unless they bring in a striker on deadline day because they have been creating a decent number mm-hmm. of chances it's just when it gets up there they haven't got anyone to put it away or get on the end of it so yeah that that's a, a big concern and uh, Steve Morrison showed in his press conference after the game oh, that so he is <laughs> so salty Justin yeah, yeah I, I think he's he's getting aggy for no reason he's probably frustrated at the lack of progress in signing players um, but the journalists are doing their jobs they're asking him questions and I just think he needs to he needs to relax a little bit. Um, yeah, okay, it's straight after a defeat, but he just needs to lighten up and say, yeah, we're on the hunt for a striker rather than getting pissy about it all the time. It's just strange behaviour. Your words, not mine. Um, shall we move on? A Ben Barrett Diaz goal gave Blackburn a 1-0 win away at Blackpool. Possibly a goodbye present by the Chilean sensation, Justin. <laughs> you are a... Uh... You are a uh, naughty man. Um, maybe uh, I don't think that would be the case. I think he. I think you. I'll make the claim now. I think he'll be at Blackburn come the weekend. Um, I just... will happily have a bet with you right now that he's not. <laughs> okay then, five pounds. Ten. Piss off! Five pounds. We're not all okay, made of friendly money. fiver. Friendly fiver. That that that's. Brent Barrett and Diaz isn't at Blackburn come the weekend. The only reason I say that is David Ornstein has reported there was plenty of interest in him on deadline day. This may come very out of date in 24 hours' time, but that's just what I've seen. But th- he's played pretty poor in his last two or three games, hasn't he, Brent mm-hmm. and Diaz? One would assume it's because he's been linked with a move away, but here he was excellent and was actually quite unlucky not to have at least another wanting. Yeah, he was. There was a point where he, the ball was played to him and he hit it first time and it just bent it around the post and Grimshaw was nowhere near it. And I was begging and praying that for that to go in. Sorry, Blackpool fans, but it was such a sweet hit. It had to it had to be a goal. It wasn't to be, but it, it just showcases quality a little bit more. Um, but yeah, he's, he's an exceptional player and I think him playing poorly in the last few games is more symptomatic of Blackburn being really, really poor rather than him. Can't all be down to Ben Barrett and Diaz. Um so yeah, I think it's more yeah more to do with Blackburn being poor. But Blackburn are really good in this game. They did what Blackburn are really really good at: breaking up play, getting the ball forward quickly, 
getting it to those players like Dolan and Brentford who can hurt teams in the final third and Adam Wharton Adam Wharton was unreal took me until quarter past 11 last night to realise it wasn't Scott Wharton by the way (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's a mistake uh, plenty of people have made Um, he was really good wasn't he Adam Wharton he stood out for me as well 18 years old Mm -hmm. he's played a few games this season for them now but a Blackburn lad born and bred supports the club Always love to see that happen. Um, so he's living the dream and playing really well at the same time. Um, but And Blackburn could have got more from this game if it wasn't for Dam Grinshaw in the uh, Blackpool goal. He made some brilliant saves. So, yeah, Blackburn could have definitely made this uh, more comfortable for themselves, but a 1-0 win away, nonetheless, always good, especially after they've been in pretty poor form recently. And finally, Wigan managed to hold West Brom to a one all draw. We were saying how Wigan were thumped by Burnley at the weekend, but didn't actually play too badly. This was a good showing with a much better result and Wigan deserve a lot of credit for managing to get a point against West Brom because I don't think many clubs will be able to do that this season. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start off with Tony Mowbray who's now officially been named as the new Sunderland boss. We spoke spoke about it at length in Sunday's episode. Justin, any additional thoughts since then? I like him a lot. He's a good manager. Jack Clark's a good player. He'll get he'll make him better. Ross Stewart's a good player. He'll make him better. It's a very good appointment, in my opinion. And what we said, he's a steady pair of hands. There's not much, not too much to add. No, I share exactly the same sentiment. The only thing I want to say is, I remember when he left, he said the reason he wanted to leave Blackburn was because he wanted to watch his teenage son grow up and he's taken another job a couple of months later. So Going yeah. well. Yeah, not sure what's happened there. Um, kids, Ed. Uh, on to transfers. Of course, it's... Uh, of course, it's deadline day today, so it's going to be very busy and there'll obviously be deals that happen after we finish recording, so we'll talk about them in Sunday's episode. But these are all the confirmed deals from the past few days at the time of recording. Blackburn have moved for Coventry defender Dominic Hyam in a deal reportedly worth £1.5 million. A very solid defender and it represents a good deal for Blackburn in my opinion. But I find it strange that Cough have let him go. Greg Broughton, who's Blackburn's director of football, said in July, Coventry made it clear he wasn't for sale. But then a month later, they've sold him for a free, which I wouldn't say is massive, Justin. Mm. But it's also with just days left in the transfer window to get a replacement. So I don't really know what's happened here. I think Cov have got players that can fill in. Um, they've got Callum Doyle on loan. They've got Panzo as well. They've got Bidwell who can fill in at centre-half. They will play three at the back. Obviously, having those that many left-footers doesn't add too much balance. But would be surprised to, to see Coventry not move to replace him in some way. I know they've struggled to get players through the door because of work permits, thanks Brexit. Um, they, there's been a couple of players coming from Holland that they've struggled to get in, for example. Um, so they are trying to they are trying to add to their squad to struggle to do it. But as I say, I'd be surprised if they don't replace him. As we mentioned earlier, Birmingham have shit the bed in the final days of the window. They've signed <laughs> Man United midfielder Hannibal Medry. Fantastic announcement video for that. Um, and West Ham defender Emmanuel Longello on loan. West Brom have paid a six-figure fee for Salford striker Brandon Thomas Asante. I won't, pre- I won't pretend to be as much of an expert on League Two as I am the Championship, but he's someone who's been on my radar for the past year or so. Just in 23 years old, looks a really good prospect. Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, data analysts, uh, you know, the, the ones that feature around Twitter, picked him out um, 
for a lot of clubs. He fills the data profile quite nicely. He's a versatile forward um, and he's a very, very good dribbler. Can use both of his feet as well and available at a low price with a with a high with a with quite a high ceiling so value wise he's gonna is is gonna increase. Um I think if anyone's what the watched the class of ninety two documentaries, his story is quite a nice one. Um on Sky Sports that is. His story is quite a good one and, and how he plays gives a good insight into how he plays and, and what his personality is like as well. So I think he'll be I think it'll be a good fit for West Brom and I quite like the signing. What's his story, Justin? You can't just tease us like that and not tell us. It's been a while since I watched it, but he got released from MK Dons and he went to a trial day at Salford City. Warren Joyce was leading a session and he was the only player that, that stood out for for them and they signed him on a free transfer. And this was quite far through the summer, so it was one of those situations where I imagine he would have probably dropped into a non-league. Um, but he stuck at it and got that got that contract he, he craved at Salford. And he's gone from strength to strength, which is, again, yeah, big story. There you go. What a wonderful anecdote. Uh, worth mentioning, Birmingham were reportedly close to signing him before West Brom apparently came along and blew their wage off out the window, according to Neil Moxley from the Sunday People. Reading a re-signing Chelsea defender, Barbara Rahman, on loan. He was fairly good for them last season, wasn't he? I'm just amazed he's still at Chelsea. He's 28, Justin. Why is he still contracted there? Who's <laughs> sanctioned that deal? Um, Sunderland, bro- Sunderland have brought in PSG midfielder, Edouard Michou on loan with the option to buy. This move has got Sunderland fans very excited. 19 years old, played five games for PSG in Ligue 1 last season. One to keep an eye on. He's also got lovely hair, the kind of hair <laughs> we all wish we could have. Um, Burnley have signed a player from, guess where, Belgium. Anas Zarari is a 21-year-old winger from Charleroi. He joins on a four-year deal. Swansea have been loaned the brilliantly named Armstrong Ocoflex. He's a 20-year-old winger from West Ham. And away from transfers, Bristol City defender Nathan Baker's retired from football on medical advice. The 31-year-old suffered a double concussion following a clash of heads in November last year and hasn't played since. Bristol City say medical professionals have advised Baker that carrying on playing would represent a significant risk to his ongoing and future health. Baker said in a statement on the club website, I must put my health and family first. It's not worth the risk. Uh, just an incredibly sad story, Justin. Yeah, really sad. He's a, he's a solid defender, a very reliable defender as well, and I'm sure he would have been a big, big help to Bristol City last season. And something as as innocuous as a clash of heads, um, you know, it's it's a very chance thing that can happen, and it's and it's ruled him out. It's a massive shame, but hopefully he stays in the game in some way and 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 can still contribute to to Bristol City this season. He's a as big, excellent pro. Yeah, I'm no expert on head injuries, but it is crazy to me that a player can be just a clash of heads away from their career being over like Mm -hmm. this. It's just, it honestly does blow my mind. But of course, we send our best wishes to Nathan Baker and wish him the very best in whatever it is he decides to do next. Right, now it is time for this. Did he? Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. It's 12 all. And this week it's Justin's turn to put his championship knowledge to the ultimate test. Justin, are you ready? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm very ready. Let's go. First one is Scott Carson and Sheffield United. Did he or didn't he? No, he didn't. 
said that very confidently. Are you sure? Yep. <laughs> he didn't. I made that one up. So good start good for one. Justin Peach. Um, next up is Gary McSheffrey and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? I think he had a spell there when Leeds were in League One. He made 10 appearances on loan in 2010. So a very good start for Justin Peach. Next up is Ian Hume and Sheffield Wednesday. Did he or didn't he? Now there's a name. Now there's a name I haven't heard for a while. Ian Hume. Mm. Um, Sheffield Wednesday. I feel like he may have had a spell there. Again, maybe when Wednesday were in League One. A loan spell there. He didn't. He has never played for Sheffield Wednesday. So Justin came flying out the blocks, but is uh, stalled. Let's see how he gets on with this one. It's, of course, Marlon Harewood and Ipswich Town. Did he or didn't he? <laughs> I, I now can't know. He came through at Forest, but I think he had a loan spell at Ipswich because he had that loan spell in Finland, weirdly. But I think Ipswich was one of the most played for. Six appearances on loan in 1999. So, yes, you're absolutely correct, Justin. Three out of four so far. This is not going how I hoped it would. (laughs) Um, Curtis Davis and Leicester. Did he or didn't he? He had a loan spell at Leicester. Yeah. (laughs) 12 appearances over two months in 2010 and 2011. So, yes, this is going fairly disastrously for me so far. Um, how about this? Scott Hogan and Blackpool, did he or didn't he? That's a tricky one. That's a good one. I don't think he played for Blackpool. He didn't. You're absolutely right. See, this it's is the beauty. This is the beauty of this game is we'll concoct these players, con- uh, concoct these players, and we think, oh, we're on to something here. And then so you know, get so far into it, it's like, oh, crap. Hmm. Five out of six for Justin Peach. Cal Walker and Aston Villa, did he or didn't he? He did. Loan spell. (laughs) (sighs) I've had a coffee this morning, that's what it is. I was certain you wouldn't get some of these. Six out of seven for Justin Peach. Luke Freeman and Charlton? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. But he obviously played for Millwall last season, Forest. Um, he came through at Stevenage, so I don't think he's. I don't think he. Um, yeah, I don't think he's played for Charlton. Started off at Spurs. No Arsenal sign. Arsenal got released. Stevenage, Bristol City, QPR. Don't think Charlton cross path. You're correct. Seven <laughs> out of eight for Justin Beach. <laughs> This is going to be a long day, isn't it? Um, two remaining, Justin. Patrick van Arnholt, Newcastle. Did he or didn't he? No. Seven appearances on loan in when? 2010. 2010. Oh, when they were in the championship. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, he had, he had a few random loan spells at the very start Chelsea. of his career. Yeah, Chelsea. That explains it. Uh, so, final one. Um, you've got seven... Out of nine, and it's Ben Pearson and Huddersfield. Did he or didn't he? That's a good one. <laughs> um, I don't recall him ever playing for Huddersfield. It would have been a loan spell. 
But I think he went from a, I don't I think he went from United straight to Preston on a permanent. I don't think any loan spells out. You're right. He didn't play for Huddersfield, but he did actually have a spell at Barnsley. I wish I threw that in there now. Mm, yeah, you'd have, you'd have done me with that. Eight out of ten. Hmm. That's not good. Um, <laughs> that means the score is 20-12 um, to Justin Peach now for the season. I'm going to have to pull something right out of the bag next week, aren't mm. I? But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast Midweek Show. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the deadline day deals as well as talk about some of the games, but all the games from the Championship this coming weekend. So we look forward to speaking to you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.